Welcome to another episode of Men's Bible Study. On Saturday, we celebrated our men's quarterly breakfast with guest speaker Charlie Duke, who is a former astronaut and United States Air Force officer. It was such a blessing to have him here with us and share his story. We hope you enjoy it. Thank you very much. Hey, bless you. Thank you. Bless you, buddy. Thank you very much for uh, your kind uh, welcome. It's good to be with you this morning and uh, share the Lord and uh, hope you enjoyed some breakfast. And uh, we're good. To, it's good to be back in Texas. Uh, we lived in New Braunfels, Texas, for after I left NASA, and we lived there for forty-something uh, years. And then uh, the Lord told me to move back to South Carolina, where I grew up, and uh, to be back there with my uh, kids and uh, my oldest boy and six kids and uh, one great grandbaby. So we've been back in South Carolina since. Uh, uh, since last March. We miss Texas, we really do. Uh, we came here in 1966 when I got picked for NASA uh, and uh, lived in Houston for 10 years and then I retired from NASA and went to work uh, in San Antonio area and we lived in New Braunfels. So now we live in Greenville, South Carolina and uh, I, uh, uh, good to be back. Uh, we're here I got invited to be here uh, this morning, but we actually combined it with a trip for with the uh, Dallas Safari Clubs having their big conference a convention at the, down at the Omni at uh, K. Bailey Hutchison's uh, Convention Center. So we came to see a lot of my friends uh, from the hunting community and uh, from just around Texas. So welcome everybody, and thank you for the opportunity to uh, share my faith. Uh, I uh, uh, met uh, met a lot of wonderful, interesting people uh, during my walk around, and uh, one of the guys that was a good friend of mine is uh, Danny Reeves, and uh, he tells a story about uh, about this uh, grandmother and her. A granddaughter sitting in church and uh, preachers just going on and on and on and on and uh, little girl gets a little squirmy and uh, then she leans over and says uh, to her grandmother grandmama what is the the flag on the wall for there's <clears throat> a big American flag on to the left of the pulpit and uh, Grandmama says, well, that's to honor those who died in the service. And she said, was that in the 8.30 or the 10.30? <laughs> so I hope that nobody passes on here while uh, I'm speaking. So uh, I could, uh, I, I got a lot to talk about uh, from the moon and all. And I was going to show a film, but uh, it looks like to me that uh, not everybody can see this film, uh, see the screen. So I don't know whether to do that or not. So, uh, well, if you can't see it, uh, if you can't see it, then then uh, get up. And it's 15 minutes, and it uh, talks about my flight to the moon, and uh, then uh, I will. Uh, uh, We'll be all all done at silent, so I'll be narrating it. Let me put this thing. Hold on a minute. 
So it's, uh, this is, I, uh, let me set the stage. I was, uh, uh, got picked as an astronaut in 1966. We were the fifth group of astronauts. There were 19 of us. And to be honest, I didn't think I had a chance to go to the moon uh, because we were the uh, rookies. Uh, but we had bad luck and um, uh, bad times, really, in uh, Apollo in the mid-60s. Um, we had uh, three guys killed in a, a, an accident on board the Apollo 1 spacecraft. We had four guys killed in airplane accidents and one killed in a uh, uh, automobile accident. So we had eight fatalities in about two or three year period. And then uh, senior guys like John Young uh, retired and all uh, other senior ones retired. And so we sort of bubbled up into the mix and we started getting uh, flight assignments, which was, uh, uh, I thought was very unique. And uh, so anyway, we were training for Apollo and, um, and I got picked for uh, support crew for Apollo 10, the first time we were gonna take the lunar module to the moon. They weren't gonna land, but they were gonna ex exercise the, the lunar module uh, at, in lunar orbit. Then I was backup crew on uh, Apollo, uh, well, I was involved with Apollo 11, first landing on the moon. Uh, I'd been in mission control, talking to the crew of Apollo 10, and then Neil Armstrong asked me, to, why don't you do the same job? The, the whole team's moving over and we need your experience. So I said, okay. So I was the guy talking to Neil Armstrong when he landed on the moon with Buzz Aldrin in April 19, uh, no, July of 1969. It was a real, uh, uh, a real tense time on that landing. We were uh, started out uh, with everything going right and then the wheels started coming off. We had uh, uh, communication problems and we had computer overloads and we had uh, trajectory problems and that led to uh, Neil leveling off at about 500 feet and flying across the moon to find a place to land. And that took all the extra fuel. So we get down to, we called mission control. I said, uh, uh, Eagle, which was their call sign. Eagle, you got 60 seconds to land. Then I said, Eagle, 30 seconds. And I mean, you can, the, the tension was so high in mission control, you couldn't believe it. And 13 seconds later, I heard Buzz Aldrin say, uh, contact, engine stop, and we knew they were on the ground. And, uh, and so uh, Neil, as calmly as possible, said, uh, uh, Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here, the Eagle has landed. And I said, Roger Twang, and I, wait a minute, there's Tranquility, we copy on the ground, you got a bunch of guys about to turn blue, we're breathing again. And so that was our first landing, successful. Uh, I ended up uh, on Apollo 16 after backing up on Apollo 13. Uh, and uh, 16, I was a lunar module pilot and uh, we landed successfully after some serious problems we had. We landed at the absolute last moment that we could land uh, on our craft before the moon moved out of positions and we couldn't have enough fuel to get back to our landing site. So anyway, our landing was successful and we spent three days up on the moon. 
uh, and uh, John Young was my commander. We had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Real busy, of course. Uh, we had a car uh, called the Lunar Rover, and all this is in the movie. So let's start the movie, and uh, we'll um, and I'll uh, uh, narrate. Uh, let me get this thing off here, so I can see it here. And uh, get out of your way here, okay? You want a chair? No, I'm fine. Yeah. Okay, it's uh, silent. Uh, it's about 13, 14 minutes long. Uh, we were the fifth landing on the moon, and so I was the second out uh, on uh, our landing, uh, and so I was the tenth person to land on the moon out of the twelve. This is a Saturn liftoff. Uh, it was really exciting. This vehicle is 363 feet tall. It weighed seven and a half million, no, six and a half million pounds. Had five engines pushing it uh, seven and a half million pounds. And you didn't hear a thing as far as a noise. You just had a vibration in the spacecraft from side to side. And I didn't remember anybody telling me it was supposed to shake this hard. So I got a little nervous. <laughs> and, <laughs> And, but John Young, was uh, he's a veteran, and he said, we're go, Houston, and mission control, you're go. And uh, so we lifted off. It took eight seconds to go the first 400 feet. But we have at seven and a half million pushing six and a half million. Well, it, the first stage uh, lasted for two minutes and 42 seconds on our mission. And at that time, we burned up four and a half million pounds of fuel. Uh, so through those five engines. And uh, it was accelerating at uh, maximum acceleration was four and a half times gravity, which is pushing you back in the seat. And on the first stage, you never, that never stopped shaking. But when it shut down, uh, they, it was like a train wreck. You went from four and a half Gs to zero, like just instantly. And so we'd learned to stiff arm the instrument panel, even though we were strapped in real tight. And we got, and it was lunged forward like that, and then the second stage ignited, and then it was as smooth as, as glass all the way into orbit on the third stage. Here's the staging right here. Uh, we were uh, for a minute and, uh, let's say, 42 seconds, if I said, if I remember saying. So the first stage falls off, it goes back in and uh, burns up on reentry. But they actually recovered two of the engines on the first stage. Uh, years later, uh, Jeff Bezos uh, uh, paid for a, a sonar thing, and they found five engines uh, at 12,000 feet down in the ocean, uh, and two of them were from our flight. You can see the, uh, the, the brown, light brown stuff back over there is Florida. Uh, the windows were covered over at this point, so we couldn't see outside. About a minute later, we had uh, the Windows 1 covered over. Now, we're on our way to the moon. Uh, we'd left Earth orbit uh, about two and a half hours after we got into, into orbit. And uh, what you're looking at is the Earth, and there's Baja, California, uh, the Rocky Mountains, uh, the North Pole's over here. And uh, then down across uh, this, down over here is, of course, Mexico and Central America. Uh, here's the inside of our spacecraft. Uh, Ken Mattingly's uh, staying in shape. Uh, John and I didn't try any of that because we were going to be in, uh, on the moon for three days and we were going to be uh, in shape. Uh, anyway, this is just sort of so showing stuff at what it's like in uh, zero gravity. Things floats around. 
and you put something down and you don't anchor it, you're going to lose it. It just, uh, uh, gets, uh, uh, just floats off uh, somewhere. And um, that's a flashlight. Uh, and uh, then th this is a food bag we had. Most of our food was dehydrated, so you had to add water. Uh, and this is uh, not on our flight, but shows uh, uh, what happens to liquid. This is grape juice, and it turns into a sphere uh, as you uh, let it float, and then you can suck it in. And then there's a flying banana. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, we, didn't, we had uh, grape juice, but we didn't have any bananas on Apollo. Now we're in lunar orbit, and uh, we, uh, John and I get in the lunar module. Uh, he's looking out of this little window, which was right over his head, and we pitch uh, heads up, uh, and actually we're upside down to, in relation to the command module, but in space there is no up or down, you're just floating. And you can see the, uh, the hatch is in the center here, and that's what you open up to get out. You see the porch, you go down the ladder, step onto the foot pad, and uh, you're on the moon. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, as we started uh, our uh, uh, preparations, uh, Mattingly and the other spacecraft had a serious problem, which almost resulted in our aborting the mission and coming home. Uh, but Mission Control was who's the, who the uh, uh, heroes of Apollo. They always saved the day. And they did in our case, and it took them six hours to find out, but now six hours behind schedule, we pitched over and we're 7,000 feet above the moon. We recognize these two big black craters, and John, I'm talking him down, and he's flying the spacecraft, and uh, in the final few minutes, we're about 40 feet off the moon, you start blowing out the moon dust, the shadow comes in, the long lines below the landing gear are electrical probes, and when they hit the moon, it turns on the lights at contact, and you shut the engine, and you drop in the last uh, four or five feet. And John picked a great spot. We were dead level, and uh, we just erupted uh, uh, with uh, excitement. Old Ryan is finally here, Houston, fantastic. And that was probably the first time I said fantastic uh, at least a hundred times uh, while I was on the moon for three days. Uh, we could look out uh, to the left was a, a mountain we call Stone Mountain. Uh, and now we're outside. Uh, I'm, we didn't have digital cameras. Here's the camera right here. And I had to put the film on the camera. And so I looked at it and it had dust on it. So I, <laughs> I'm trying to blow the dust off. <laughs> I said, wait a minute, this is the dumbest thing you've ever done. <laughs> so I got it all loaded up, and, uh, and I put up the flag, and the flag is held out by a curtain rod. And it's wrinkled because it had been vacuum packed for six months, and it didn't give me an iron. So I couldn't get the wrinkles out of it. So it's there, and John comes out to give a big salute. And I said, come on, John, come on, give me a big Navy salute. So he comes out gets next to the flag and uh, gives a little jump for joy. <laughs> and uh, then uh, I, uh, we swap places and uh, I get my, uh, my picture taken. Uh, this is my most embarrassing moment. Uh, I'm walking out and uh, it's got a big dumbbell and on one side is $10 million worth of uh, lunar experiments. 
And on the other side is the power source. So the, the experiments are on this side closest to you and I'm walking out and they fall off. Oh God, <laughs> I, I just screwed up the whole deal. <laughs> you know, but in one six gravity, they didn't, uh, it just sort of hit lightly and, and I looked to make sure I was hoping they didn't see me do this, but uh, I, they saw it on TV, so I had to fess up. But I hooked them back up again, and uh, they were, they, once we deployed them, there were no problem. Uh, down, uh, down here on the Earth, uh, in my spacesuit and all of my stuff, I weighed 363 pounds, but up on the moon, just 60 pounds. I had an experiment to drill uh, three holes into the moon, uh, a little handheld drill while I'm doing that. John's working on the power station here. Unfortunately, he pulled one of the cables loose and we lost the electrical power to uh, uh, that experiment. Uh, I'm standing on the side as John drives the rover. We were the second flight with the rover. And so he's uh, bouncing across the moon as I'm taking his, uh, his, uh, his picture. Uh, it was, uh, this is what it looks like on board. It was a rough ride. Uh, we had uh, uh, seat belts fastened and uh, didn't feel like it was gonna turn over on you. Uh, this is an experiment I was doing to me measure the bearing strength of the moon's surface and it went all the way in. And so I gotta get up and here's uh, one push up, uh, two push ups and uh, <laughs> Three push-ups. <laughs> we uh, had rakes and shovels and stuff to collect rocks. Generally, we did it together because it was easier. One would get a sample and the other would hold a bag and we would bag uh, every sample. But sometimes we had different duties and we tried to do it ourselves. And so this next scene, uh, you're gonna uh, see us uh, 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 see me try to cl collect a rock by myself. Uh, and here I go, and, uh, and unfortunately, <laughs> I'd never make a wide receiver in the NFL, but I was determined this time I'm gonna get this rock. So I, a little bit more careful, and I flip it up, and I catch the rock, but I dropped the bag I was putting it in. So. <laughs> So everything didn't go exactly according to plan, but uh, we ended up collecting 260 pounds of, uh, of rock and soil sample and uh, spent three days up there. The moon's surface is so fine uh, and it sticks to your suit and you can't brush it off. So the white suits ended up turning gray, uh, and, uh, which is no problem. Oh, this was a problem here. Uh, here I am, we're gonna set the high jump record on the moon, and here I am, right here on the left, and there I go, over backwards. <laughs> and if that backpack breaks, I'm dead. And so, uh, uh, fear is a, an emotion we have, but fear isn't bad if you don't panic. And so, do something, and roll right, and I rolled to the right and broke my fall on my right side, bounced onto my back, and I'm, my heart's pounding, but I'm still alive. And John comes over and looks down and said, that wasn't very smart, Charlie. <laughs> and uh, I said, yeah, help me up. And uh, we were gonna do the moon Olympics and high jump and long jump. Well, mission control was so upset 
that said, get inside, guys, that's no more Olympics. And so that uh, put our, uh, uh, our Olympics to, 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 to the rest. Uh, here we go, lift off. We left the camera going on the rover, and there we go back into space after 72 hours. Uh, this was a real exciting ride. It got us into orbit about 150 miles behind the command module, and within an hour, uh, we had rendezvoused. And uh, this was a sporty ride. It was back and forth and up and down. And, uh, and here we go and come in for uh, rendezvous. This takes, looks like about 10 seconds, but this was likely, likely 15 minutes, actually, to get to this stage. So we uh, jettisoned the lunar module and started back home. And on the uh, 11th day, we uh, hit the atmosphere. This is what it looks like inside, big fireball outside. We hit the atmosphere at like 26,000 miles an hour. So you get this big fireball around the spacecraft, but it's comfortable inside. And you maneuver back and forth to hit a landing spot in the Pacific Ocean. And the guidance system was fantastic on Apollo. Uh, and as we uh, started in, from about 100,000 feet, you come in straight down like free fall. And at 22,000 feet, the first parachutes start to open on Apollo, and, uh, and they're called the drogue chute. And uh, as, they, as they come out, it stabilizes the spacecraft so that the heat shield is down. And, uh, and here they are right here as they come out. Uh, and as a result of this, uh, 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 it stabilizes the spacecraft. And then at 10,000 feet, the main parachutes open, and there are three of those. And, uh, and they, uh, they give you uh, the stability and the, uh, supposedly soft landing. But we, I, I was looking out the window and, uh, and, and Mattingly was counting us down. And I was, when he says 100, I'm gonna put my head back. Well, at 100, we hit the water. And lock, my head went back like that. And I had to punch a circuit breaker in by my right knee before he could jettison the parachutes. And, uh, and so I was just sort of foggy and I couldn't get it in right away. So we flipped over uh, the wind, that left chute stayed inflated and we flipped over and we were upside down and the hatch is underwater. The spacecraft will float upside down or right side up. So uh, anyway, uh, that's the, uh, the end of the flight. We had a successful mission. Uh, 11 days in space. We got cut short one day uh, because of the problems we'd had uh, before with the uh, command module. Uh, we were the fifth landing on the moon and I was number 10. Uh, the youngest guy to walk on the moon at uh, 36 years old and uh, I'm 88 and I'm still the youngest guy to walk on the moon. <laughs> I, I can still pass a NASA flight physical, but uh, they said, don't call us, we'll call you. And, uh, <laughs> and I don't think I'm gonna get any, uh, any more calls from NASA, though I, I would love to fly again. I do stay in contact with the President Artemis astronauts who are gonna be going to the moon probably next year, first time, uh, with no landing, uh, just like we did on Apollo 8. 
And then a year after that, there'll be a landing on the moon, a South Pole with uh, four astronauts uh, in, uh, in the Artemis program. Well, after, uh, as I said, I was 36 years old. I went to work on Apollo 17, the last flight, and it was over in uh, December of 1972. And uh, I had, uh, so I'd turned 37, and I was uh, uh, really excited and had this great adventure, uh, but uh, what are you gonna do now? You know, how do you top a flight to the moon? <laughs> And, uh, and, and adventure and uh, you know, working hard and all of that stuff. And so I was frustrated. There was no, no peace that I had in my life. And um, so in, about a, 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 in, in January 67, uh, no, 73, uh, I was, you know, what are you gonna do? So, uh, I started working on Space Shuttle, which was going to be the next program, but uh, it wasn't the same as Apollo, so I got very, very frustrated at it. And you know, a lot of the moonwalkers did get uh, at that frustration. How are you going to top a flight to the moon? And so we were searching for something to do. Uh, my wife and I had been, we had two boys at the time, uh, and uh, they were, uh, we were in church. Uh, we went to a small Episcopal church in uh, Laporte, Texas, uh, where we, uh, and uh, we enjoyed going to church, but it was church. It wasn't a, a relationship with Jesus. And uh, so uh, things got really, really bad in our marriage. Uh, we were talking about divorce. Uh, we were talking about uh, this and that and the other. And, uh, and so uh, it was, uh, it was it was a tough point in our marriage, and uh, and so my wife got a, a suicidal, uh, and uh, that's and she she looked at me uh, as 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 her savior, if you will. Well, I'm not the savior. Jesus is the savior, but she didn't know we knew all about God, but we didn't know Jesus. It wasn't in our heart, and so. Uh, even though we were in church, uh, things were really bad. And as I said, and uh, I was a military drill instructor dad. Uh, I was going to beat these kids into, some, into obedience and they were going to be perfect like I was. And so you can imagine our family life and uh, <clears throat> with me being frustrated all the time. And so uh, uh, we, uh, we were struggling and uh, about three years later in October of 1975, our church had a Faith Alive, which was a weekend of people coming to tell about the power of Jesus to change a life. And at that, uh, at that moment, uh, that weekend, uh, Dottie realized, uh, my wife, that uh, she had tried everything but Jesus. Uh, and so she, after we got home, uh, she went into our bedroom and knelt down and said, Jesus, if you're real, I give you my life. If you're not real, I want to die. So that was her prayer. Well, there really is a Jesus. And he came into her life and I watched her change over the next three months from sadness to joy. And she's written a little book a booklet uh, called From Sadness to Joy that's going, there's a little book table over here if you 
want one of those, and also a book that uh, we eventually wrote called Moonwalker. But I, I wasn't affected by that time, uh, by the, the, the weekend. And I liked what happened, and right after that, we moved to New Braunfels, because I left NASA, uh, left active duty in the military, and went in the reserves, and started a Coors beer distributorship in uh, San Antonio. And I took my eyes off the, basically off the moon and put them on money. And money was going to be the answer to give me the peace and the purpose that I had in life. And so for two years, uh, my wife loved me, and I was running this beer distributorship. And, uh, and we were in church. Uh, she was worshiping God. I was just going to church. And uh, so I, I, I was frustrated with the beer business, and money wasn't the answer. So I sold the business, and uh, the next, this was in March of 1978, and a guy at our church uh, invited me to go to a weekend Bible study and, uh, at TBRM, a uh, tennis club. And uh, so I didn't want to go. Uh, I said, how long is it? He said, well, it's Friday night, Saturday, and Sunday. I God, how do you study the Bible all weekend, you know? <laughs> and, ah, wait. And I was just going to be, well, I said, he was so nice. I said, okay, I'll go. So we went, and uh, it was a life-changing experience. It was called, the course was sort of walk through the Bible. And it was Jesus from Genesis to Revelations. And, uh, I, and I'd been in Baptist Sunday school as a little kid, and we started getting into the New Testament, and I started uh, John 3.16. I knew John 3.16, but it wasn't in my heart. And at, at John 3.16, as you all know, is that Jesus said, I, I am the way, no, uh, it says, for God so loved the world that if he gave his only, that he gave his only son, if you believe in him, you'll not perish, but have everlasting life. Now, the thought occurred to me, that's either true, are the biggest lie ever perpetrated on humanity. And I get to decide whether it's true or a lie. And so do you. Every one of us just has a decision to make. And so we get all, later on in John, it says, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to God except through me. Is that true or is it a lie? Make up your mind, Charlie. And at the end of that weekend, I made up my mind that it was true. And I'm sitting in my automobile, and I look over at my wife, and I said, Donnie, I don't, there's no doubt in my heart that Jesus is the Son of God. I said, Lord, come into my life. And for the very first time in my life, I experienced the peace of God. I wasn't convicted as a sinner. I didn't think I was, I mean, I wasn't a bad guy. Uh, you know, I did some things that weren't right, but uh, everybody does that. And... Uh, but as I began, the thing that really happened when I said, God, come into my life, I experienced this peace. And I knew that I knew that I knew that I'd made the right decision. And I'd sold a business and we made a lot of money uh, in the sale. And so I didn't have an eight to five job. So I just started reading the Bible. And the more I read, the more God convicted me from his word. And this is the manufacturer's handbook. And it tells you how to live. And you, if you get it, if you, if you do what it says, uh, you're gonna, it's changing your life. I've flown 20-something different type of airplanes in my life, 
and I've, I don't, can't tell you how many cars I've owned, and every one of them have a manual. And you better read the manual, especially if you're flying a 104. And because uh, you can kill yourself in a 104 if you don't know the procedures. And so God has given us a manual. And as we, and as I began to read the Bible, God began to convict me of the sin in my life. And uh, it uh, is convicting, but it's also saving for us. And so I'm reading over in Ephesians, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And uh, God spoke to my heart. I've never heard the voice of God in my ears, but in my heart, the Spirit spoke and says, you don't love your wife that way, and the problem with your marriage is you. And so I repented in tears and told us, Dolly, forgive me, I want to establish our marriage on the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. And as we began to uh, serve God together, he started pulling us closer and closer together. And uh, now, uh, this was 1978, and now it's 2024, and we're still serving God, and he's still keeping us together. So we've been married over 60 years now. <laughs> Hallelujah. And uh, then, so that was the first uh, conviction I came under. Uh, the second was uh, about my kids. And in Proverbs, uh, I started reading Proverbs. Now my, my Bible reading back in those days was 10 chapters a day. Uh, two Old Testament, five Proverbs, uh, 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 no, five Psalms, one Proverbs, and two New Testaments. And that was what I did. And so I, if I didn't understand it at all, I just kept reading. And God began to reveal the truth of the scripture through just Bible reading. So I get over to Proverbs and my first thought, how did Proverbs get into the Bible? You know, these one-liners, you know, and, uh, and, but they were profound. And in the, I think 16th, maybe 18th chapter, it says, uh, you have the power of life and death in your tongue. Now let that sink in. You can speak life or you can speak death. Whatever comes out of your mouth is going to be life or death. And God said to me, you have cursed your own children with the words that came out of your mouth. And I don't, when curses, I don't mean profanity. I mean, Tom, you're stupid. I've just put a curse on my son. And he's going to become exactly what I spoke. And he was becoming that. And then I went, I'm in tears because I love this guy, this, this boy. He's probably 12 or 13 at the time. And then his brother too. And so I, I was in tears and before then I said, boys, I repent, forgive me. I want to speak blessings into your life instead of curses. And so I broke the curses over them and I started speaking life into them. And I watched them just blossom like uh, spring flowers. It was really a dramatic change in our relationship and in our life. And uh, so I'm still blessing these kids. Uh, they're uh, now in their 50s. I've got uh, six grandkids, no, nine grandkids, and one great grandbaby. And I'm blessing the socks off of my grandkids and my great grandbaby. I mean, it's important that we speak blessings over our family then instead of curses. And the last thing I want to talk about is uh, 
is what the third thing that got, and I had a lot of sin in my life, but I'm just talking about the, the biggies, if you will. And uh, the one was, uh, I, I got over into a Malachi, and God says, you're robbing me. What do you mean, God? You're not giving tithes and offerings in to come into the church. You're robbing me. And I said, Lord, I don't want to rob you. I tip God, you know, five bucks here, 20 bucks here. Uh, but I, I started getting this tithes, tithes, tithes coming to mind. And uh, man, that's going to be a big check. And uh, so uh, of what I'd made on the beer business. And uh, so I asked Dottie, I said, God's speaking to me about giving. Why don't you go ask God what he tells you? <laughs> I thought I was going to get off the hook. <laughs> so about two weeks later, she came back and said, God spoke to me. I said, what did he say? Tithe. <laughs> and we started tithing. And when we did, we gave away the love of money. He didn't take away the money. He took away the love of money. And we begin, we've been tithing ever since and even more. And God, and he just pours out blessings on us. And uh, I'm not saying everybody's going to be rich, but if you give as he gives unto you, you'll find peace and purpose. And so that's what's happened. And we continue now. Uh, well, so I, this was 1978, uh, and it's uh, now 2023, and we're still tithing. And it's been a really blessing. I can't get out, God, I can't outgive God. And uh, so. Uh, uh, he's faithful to his promises. And so we, uh, 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 I started, uh, people started seeing the change in me, and we were living in the Braunfels at the time, at, uh, going to St. John's Episcopal Church. And uh, the people started seeing a change, and so they said, why don't you go up and uh, speak to some of the other churches in the diocese? And so I said, well, I don't have anything to say. He said, well, you can tell about Jesus. And so uh, we started speaking, and that began to form in our life. Uh, one of our ministries is Duke Ministry for Christ, and our idea is to, is to, is to uh, share our story, share our testimony. What has God done in your life? And that changes people's hearts, changes us as we started sharing our story all over the world. Uh, we got involved with the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship. We came up here and uh, there's the conventions. And anyway, if, uh, since 1970, uh, let's see, it'd be 76, uh, we be, we've been sharing our story uh, all over the world and uh, to tell the power of Jesus to change a life. And so it's been a tremendous experience for us to uh, be able to uh, go internationally and uh, to speak and to, to, to share uh, our story. And each of us has a testimony. And it might not be going to the moon you can talk about, but God's done something in your life that has made a change. If you know Jesus and you, and you know you know that you know that He's your Lord and Savior, you can, He can use you to go out and, and change lives. And so we began to uh, volunteer just around our diocese and, uh, and speak to youth groups and whatever. And uh, then we got involved with Full Gospel Vincent's Fellowship and other ministries 
uh, and uh, to share our story and get them all over the world uh, sharing the love of Jesus. Uh, we uh, met a guy named uh, uh, Yesu Bandela who has a ministry in uh, Vijiwada, in India. And I can't tell you how many times we've been over there. He has a big crusade every year and we've been over there to speak for him. And so all over we go. And uh, God has used us in uh, various places and, uh, and opportunities. And he can, uh, <clears throat> he, he can use you. It's if you're available, God will use you. I, I, I just, let me tell you one story. We were uh, uh, traveling in Australia with Full Gospel Vendorsman's Fellowship. And uh, this guy sat down next to us and, and uh, we started talking. And uh, I, he said, I said, uh, I asked him, I said, well, uh, what do you do? Uh, she, he said, I'm a chemical engineer and I'm over here working in uh, Australia and New Zealand for the uh, dairy industry. They got a lot of cows over there. So uh, anyway, I said, well, is it a good job? He said, yeah, but it's not the best job I ever had. <laughs> I said, what's the best job you ever had? He said, I was the chief designer on the Apollo heat shield. <laughs> And I said, let me tell you, it worked great. <laughs> I appreciate it. And that started a conversation. Just those kind of opportunities that God gives you, uh, if you just make yourself available. And so uh, I told him who I was, and, and he got really excited. He was from a Jewish background. And it was just to share Jesus, share the love of God with him, and, and thank him for what he'd done to give me a safe re-entry. Uh, you hit the atmosphere at like uh, uh, 27,000 miles an hour or something like that, if I remember. And you better be on the right trajectory or, uh, or you're, you can bounce out and you're, you're gone. Uh, or you can, they can, autopilot can take you in. Anyway, the heat shield saved us and uh, we got a conversation. And so it's things like that that happen to us as we make ourselves available. Uh, Lord, it just uses. And my wife is so good at it. And she sits down in an airplane and she's not bold about it, but just, Lord, if you have something to me to say and to th these people, just give us an opportunity to have friendship. And so God begins to use you in places like that as just uh, to uh, share your faith. And so uh, uh, I speak a lot uh, now uh, uh, all over the world, uh, doing a lot of uh, prayer breakfasts and uh, things like this. And I don't know whether you stand, stand with the Lord, but uh, God is good. And as we follow Him and seek Him, uh, we uh, make a, um, uh, can make a change uh, in, in into life. Let's see, I, got, I want to do something here. Hold on a minute. Uh, here we go. So, uh, uh, I have uh, a gift for somebody. Ten bucks. Who wants ten bucks? You bet, well, a lot of people raise their hands, but nobody comes, I can't give it to you. You got to come up if you want it. Okay, there you are. 
It's yours. Yeah. So uh, this young man got up and received a gift. Uh, Jesus is offering you a gift today, and it's eternity with him if you'll just accept his gift. I don't know where you stand with God. I know this is a fantastic church, I've been told, and, uh, and hopefully everybody in here knows Jesus and following Jesus, but if you're not sure, God says today's the day. And so if you just open your heart to Jesus and say, Lord, come into my life, uh, I want to follow you. I said that uh, in 1978, changed my life. And I've been following Jesus ever since, through thick and thin, uh, through uh, good times and bad times, and God has never failed. So uh, I just want to, to, to uh, I'm not going to try to embarrass anybody, but if I was a churchian. I mean, I was in church since I was eight years old in the First Baptist Church in Lancaster, South Carolina. No, I was 12 at the time. And, and so I've been in church all my life, but I was in church and I didn't know Jesus until I was uh, uh, 30-something years old. So, so God is here, and he wants to bring anybody into the kingdom that will open your heart. So I don't know where you stand with Jesus. So I'm not going to ask anybody to stand up or anything like that, but you know where you stand. And if you, if you don't know Jesus, just open your heart and say, Lord Jesus, come into my life. I want to walk with you as, uh, as General Duke does. And so it'll change your life and uh, start your focus on, uh, on eternity, walking with God. Walking on the moon was uh, really exciting. And I'd love to do it again. I'm still physically qualified at 88 years old, no, 87 years old, to still uh, fly in space. But NASA says, don't call us, we'll call you. And so I don't think I'm gonna get to fly again, but uh, uh, it's, uh, what's important is just being available. And so if you, if you don't know Jesus, uh, and if God's speaking to your heart, just open your heart and say, Lord, come into my life. I want to walk with you. And uh, that's the life-changing experience. And so uh, I thank you for opportunity to come and uh, be with you and encourage you this uh, Saturday morning. Good to be back in Dallas. Uh, we come every year to the Dallas Safari Club. I love to hunt and, uh, and meet the people that are uh, fellow hunters, and so uh, we uh, uh, we have uh, uh, we come every year and to uh, just walk around and meet people, fellow hunters and uh, fellow believers uh, that uh, and get, being out in God's creation on the hunt. So thank you very much for being here. I want to uh, close with a prayer, and then maybe uh, we'll have a chance for a, a few questions. Uh, <clears throat> So Father, we just thank you for your opportunity to uh, uh, share you and to uh, walk with you, Lord. We thank you for these men and women and the kids that have come. We pray, Lord, that you would uh, reach forth and touch, the, touch their lives and uh, uh, make a, uh, an impression in them, Lord, that they would commit their lives to you as, uh, 
as, uh, and you uh, be a faithful uh, father and a faithful uh, guide uh, in our lives, Lord. And uh, be with us now and thank you for the opportunity to come to worship you and to share your fa our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, uh, maybe, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, my wife and I uh, wrote a book called Moonwalker, and there's going to be some over here on the book table, and it all goes into our ministry, Duke Ministry for Christ, which we use to go all over the world, and to, uh, then we have uh, some DVDs, and uh, uh, a little booklet that she wrote from Sadness to Joy. And uh, 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 just if, avail yourself of those over there, uh, Borden and others are gonna be handling things. And so uh, I'll be here to, uh, uh, not counsel, but to meet if you wanna shake hands and stuff like that. And, uh, and uh, so thank you very much for coming this morning. and. Uh, giving me an opportunity to share Jesus with you. And uh, uh, we can uh, all uh, walk with the Lord. And no matter where we stand, no matter how powerful, how insignificant we think we might be in the world, uh, Jesus is available for each of us. And so uh, uh, God bless you, uh, Godspeed. And uh, thank you very much for the opportunity to speak. And. Uh, uh, may we all walk out of here uh, as Jesus is Lord of our lives. And so uh, I uh, just thank you again for the opportunity. Thank uh, uh, Cottonwood for inviting me and through Borden Barfield, an old friend. And uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just great being here. And uh, thank you. Uh, it's a big crowd. I appreciate y'all coming, uh, hear my story. And I'll be happy to either pray with somebody or talk to somebody and be here until uh, 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 till, uh, everybody's gone. And so, <laughs> so uh, God bless you all. Uh, I want to thank you very much for coming this morning and, uh, being, uh, and giving me a chance to share, share my faith. Thank you so much. Bless you. Thanks for tuning in to today's Bible study. For more information regarding Cottonwood Creek, go to cottonwoodcreek.org. And we hope you tune in next time for more episodes of Men's Bible Study.